0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org.
1: You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you Least your accuser hands you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members then that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell.
0: Nice, gentle teachings of Jesus. <laughs> Why this series? Is in my experience in working with people and as a pastor in my own life, um, at the core of our... Shame as as believers in Christ is sexual sexuality, sexual things. Um, From my talks with you and people like, we are bound as Christians to shame around our sexuality, I believe, in ways we should not be. And one of the, the faults of the church is we've been afraid to talk about things like this. So we're going to enter in over four weeks. And we're going to try to talk about sexuality because it's a good thing that Jesus has named, that God has named as good. And there is a lot of good intentioned but bad information out there. And I'm not talking just the world. Yes, the world has some really bad information around sex. It says do whatever you want, consume. There's a lot of bad information in the church. Good intentioned bad information that has us bound as believers to shame and isolation. And that's what we'll jump in with in this series, looking at some of this stuff. Um, We have to know, jumping in to this, that you have an enemy, evil, the forces of evil, Satan, you have an enemy, and evil hates what God has named good. And therefore, if there is one thing that God has made, named good and maybe one of the, what, the most um, intimate ways we can experience our relationship with God on this earth is sex, what else would evil attack than that which what God has named good? Evil is crafty. It knows if he can take something good and twist it and get us bound to shame, he has us. Sexuality and the evil's twist on that is a good investment of evil. 20 seconds of unwanted touch creates a lifetime of shame and isolation. It is a good investment of evil. One exposure to pornography to a young boy or girl Creates a lifetime of shame and being bound. It is a good investment of evil. And as a church, we must enter into this conversation with grace and kindness and expose what God has named as good. Let's jump into this passage, Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at verse 27. This will be the main thing. And I'll tell you why I had Emily read ahead of that in a second. Here's what Jesus says you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, before we just jump in and start applying this, we have to understand the context. This is the Sermon on the Mount, a a teaching that Jesus did, one of his most famous sermons. And this command or this teaching is found in a list of things where jesus will say this you've heard it said blank but i say this you've heard it said do not murder i say if you have hatred you've murdered you've heard it said don't commit adultery i say if you lust you've heard it said eye for an eye i say turn the other cheek he does this during this and these are these this is one of these things now, before we jump into this, we must understand the context. Who is Jesus talking to when he's talk, doing the Sermon on the Mount? Because you got to know this. He's not talking like directly to you. I'm not saying the Bible, you can't apply it to your life. And Jesus is teaching to a particular people in a particular time in a particular culture. And actually, the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, who his audience is when he says these things. We find it right in front. So Matthew 5.27 is the the don't commit adultery. Matthew 5.20, look what he says. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish teachers, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he directly goes on to say, you've heard it said, blank, I say this, what is he doing? He is quoting the Jewish teachers of the law. You've heard it said by them, quote, don't murder. But I tell you something different. I'm gonna tell you what God's design is. It's not that you just don't murder, it's that you don't hate. Your teachers of the law say, don't commit adultery, I say if you look at a woman lustfully, here's what Jesus is doing. He is taking these teachers of the law of Israel, this corrupt group of people, and he is exposing them to everyone. Your leaders, your teachers lord over you all kinds of rules, and they think that they are righteous and pious, and they are above the law because I don't murder, and I don't commit adultery, and Jesus is telling them, you are just like the people that you hate, murders and the sexually immoral. Jesus is going right after them. He tells them, you are a murderer. You are an adulterer. Hill City Church, here's what Jesus tells you. You are a murderer and you are an adulterer. Welcome to Hill City. Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves for the reality in which we are. Because here's what happens when we talk about a scripture like this, about looking at woman lustfully, is all the guys are like, "Oh great, here we go. Another sermon on all the things sh- I'm doing wrong and I shouldn't do." Anyone felt that, guys? And girls can be like, "I'm off the hook. I don't look at a woman lustfully? I- not true. Um, lust is a battle for all of us. Um, and it's unfair that men can oftentimes feel burdened with this teaching. And I th- so, so here's the reality. Men, do we lust after a beautiful woman sometimes? Yes. Yes, we do. Women, you do too. Now, it looks different. Where men lust after a beautiful woman, it's, it's seeing her beauty and thinking about that and picturing and fantasy and all that. Women, here's how you lust after a beautiful woman. You want to be her. You want to be her. And you see her and you're like, oh, I just, why can't I look like that? Lust is not a man thing. Lust is a human thing. Lust is not necessarily sexual, although today we'll talk about it in a, in a sexual connotation. We lust after things all day long money, stuff, houses, cars, a title, power. We are lustful people. That's the nature of humanity. Parents, you lust after your children. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Next time you go to, to, to a sporting event of your kid, or my daughter just won second place at a debate tournament yesterday. I'm so proud of her. Most of me is proud of her for her accomplishment. But part of me is using her to feel good about myself. It's lust. We are lustful people. Jesus is trying to level the playing field where these teachers of the law have put themselves above everyone and beat everyone else down about how bad they are. Jesus says, no, teachers of the law, you are murderers and you are adulterers. Let's jump into this to understand what is lust. When Jesus uses this word, look lustfully at a woman, It's an interesting word he uses. Now, I don't know Greek and Hebrew, but I read smart people that do, okay? Here's the word that Jesus uses for lust. It's the Greek word called epithemio. And that word means strong desire. Now, here's the interesting thing about this word. Jesus could have used other words that mean like sexual lust, he doesn't use those words. So this word epithemio is used 62 times in the Bible. This word, look lustfully, 62 times. Of those 62, only two refer to sexual lust. It's very interesting that Jesus uses this word. This word epithemio means strong desire. It can be good or it can be bad. Like here are some other passages that this same word is used. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The young son leaves and he goes and he chases after everything and he finds himself feeding pigs. You guys remember this story? Here's what it says, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 16. He was epithemio, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Was he sexually lusting after the food the pigs were eating? No, he was hungry. But that's the words used. Here's another word. Jesus used this to communicate his desire. Here's what Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have, here we go, epithemial, earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus' deep desire to share a meal with his disciples before he died is the same word he uses when he says don't look lustfully at a woman. One more, Paul writing for his desire to be with a church in Thessalonica, this 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says: Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. So here's where we have to redefine in the church: desire and sexual desire. Because what gets communicated often when we teach this passage is men, if you look at a beautiful woman, you're lusting. Wrong. Wrong. Here's what Jesus did not say, because he could have used different words for this, he didn't. Jesus does not say that sexual desire is wrong. Young people, you gotta hear this. We had A bunch of non-marrieds in this church. Sexual desire is not wrong. It is good. Feeling sexual desire for an attractive person is not wrong. That's how you're made. Sexual arousal is not wrong. It's how you are designed to to be around someone that maybe isn't even like a visual sexual thing, but just like their personality is arousing. They're, they're emotionally stirring, they're stimulating, they incite good feelings. That, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Could be, could be the same gender, like, that's not wrong. That's how we are created. We are created for deep connection. One of the things that we have got to bring back in the church is a message that sexual desire is good. Because many of you are being taught otherwise. I was doing premarriage counseling with a, with a young couple. And I was talking, I think they were two or three months away from getting married. And I was talking to them. And uh, just one of the things we talk about in premarriage counseling is just sex and how that's going. And, and we, we just talk very honestly about it. And so I asked them, hey, how are you, how are you guys doing as, as you prepare to be married? And, and here's what the guy said. He said, I'm really, like we're we're doing, like we're not acting on anything, like we're we're really controlling ourselves well, but he says, I'm really struggling with lust. I like, okay, talk to me, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I can't keep, I can't quit from thinking about being naked with her and having sex. I looked at him, I was like, that's lust? Your fiance that you're gonna be married to in three months that you are desiring her, that's lust? No, that's not lust. I told him, if you're not having that, now I'm concerned for you. <laughs> right? There has been a lie in the Christian community that says if you have sexual attraction, if you have sexual desire, if you have sexual arousal, that is wrong. You need to capture that wrong thought and get it out of your head. That is not the design of God. It is good. You are created by God for deep connection emotionally and physically. Here's what we believe at Hill City Church. Sexuality, sex, is a good gift of God. It's a good gift. Adam saw naked Eve, and when he saw her, he was aroused, and he said a poem to her, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God's delight in sexuality, if I read some of the verse in the Bible, will make you blush this morning. It will. As a church, we have been too shy to name what God has named good. Emily and I are doing a talk in a few weeks, it's called Naked Truth, you heard about this? It's on a Saturday night, you need to be here. We want to redefine, and we're gonna gonna talk about things that I probably can't talk about on a Sunday with all the kids here and everything. It's gonna be real, but we have got to have conversations. We have men and women, young and old, bound in shame because they have sexual desire oh my gosh, especially in the church, sexual desire, even for same sex, causes a world of shame and isolation. And I hurt, I hurt for those of you that struggle with that and think that somehow then that you are hated by God. Sexual desire even for the same sex, in itself is not a sin. Now, are there things we need to work on? Sure. Evil has twisted God's design. What God has named good, many Christians have named bad, but yet we struggle with it. So what do you think we feel about ourselves? Bad, shame. God has named it good, evil's intent is to mar that to twist that so what is lust when jesus says don't look with lustful intent at a woman and it applies for man women and men but men both it doesn't mean don't notice beauty it doesn't mean you can't see a, a beautiful woman and say, wow, she's beautiful, she's attractive. It doesn't mean that if you have sexual desire or arousal for someone that you're just this all, it doesn't mean that. So what is the, how, how do we figure this out? So the lust that Jesus talks about, that he calls us not to have, is what I'm gonna call a consuming desire. There is a healthy desire And there's a consuming desire. The word he uses is this excessive desire. I have excessively desired to eat with you before my death, disciples. The lust he talks about is this excessive desire. It's desire gone mad. It's desire without boundaries, without limits. It's desire that says, just take me wherever you want. That is the desire that Jesus talks about, that he calls us not to have. It's consuming desire. Remember, underneath that desire is a, there's there's always good desire. Underneath your lust, there are really good desires. What evil does is it takes a good desire and it twists it to a consuming desire where we make it an ultimate desire and says, if I don't have that, I will not be satisfied. I will not be full. That's when it turns to lust. Again, that could be for anything. A desire for a house, is that good? Anyone, young people, do you shame yourself for wanting to have a house one day? No, of course not. Why do you shame yourself for desiring sex? Desire in itself is not bad. It's when that desire is twisted and we say, if I don't have that, I can't operate, I must consume that, that's the twist. And again, evil is so crafty, hear me. If humans are made in the image of God, if Eve is made as an image bearer of God, a reflector of God, and evil's intent is to get our worship off of God to something that's created, what a better distractor than something created in God's image, Eve. He's crafty. See, lust is when I take a beautiful creation of God, Eve, and I make her God, you will fulfill me. You will satisfy my desires. It's a consuming desire. So, healthy desire turns to lust when it's consuming and it becomes a demand. You will satisfy me. That is now your job. That's lust. It's sex on my terms. It's arousal on my terms. It's desire on my terms. Okay, so, so we want to understand because this, this lust, it's, it's such a tricky thing. It's not as black and white. Emily and I have talked about this a lot. We're, we're very honest with each other in our dealings and how we operate and our sin struggles and we've talked about this. Like what is the balance for me to notice a pretty girl? Because guys, do we notice pretty girls when they walk in a room? Of course we do. And to be able to even name, like, wow, she's beautiful. In honoring, glorifying way, that is good. The twist is, when I begin to say, not only is she beautiful, but she is now mine, and it goes to my mind to do a play out of fantasy, or do, like, that's when it becomes twisted. But it is not this black and white thing. It's tough. It's tough to wrestle with, Am I appreciating beauty, am I, am, I, am I noticing beauty because it's attracting, attractive, or am I consuming? Here are a couple of thoughts that I might have you wrestle with. When desire turns to lust, here's I think maybe two factors. It's impersonal and it's out of balance. When desire turns to lust, it's impersonal and out of balance. Here's what I mean by impersonal. When I take a beautiful woman or women, when you take a man and you make him or her an object of lust, you've taken a created image bearer of God and made them into an object. You remove the humanity. It's impersonal. Here's here's locker room talk for guys. Guys get together, a pretty girl walks by. Hey, check out that. We heard that before, guys? We said that before? Take a look at that. What did we do? We took a beautiful creature, creation of God, Eve, and we turned her into a that. It's impersonal. It steals their humanity, and not only does it steal their humanity, hear me, it steals yours. You are created with sexual desire. You're created with desire for emotional, physical connection, to be naked and unashamed, to be connected in, in a real personal way. That is the design, and what lust does, it breaks that personal connection and makes it an impersonal connection, and that's why it's so empty. We got to understand this. Jesus isn't giving us a bunch of rules. God, man, let me talk. Jesus is not giving you a bunch of rules. Man, I just can't look at any women. Gosh, why is he like that? No, he is inviting you into a new style of relating where you look at a woman with beauty and affection, emotion and bodies together, goodness. See, lust steals our humanity, it's dehumanizing. And, and I think deep down we know it. Deep down, we know that balance of, wow, that's a pretty woman, or, no, that's a thing for my consumption. Pornography. It's not a man problem, it's a human problem. One of the lies of the church is pornography is a man's issue, which alienates our women, because half of women in their mid 20s struggle with pornography. You are not alone if you struggle with that. We have iPhones that are one click away at any second. Pornography at its core, here's what it is. It's a dehumanizing of people. That's all it is. It takes an image bearer and makes them an object. Makes an object for my consumption. Lust is dehumanizing. It's impersonal. And it's out of balance. Here's what I mean by out of balance. Lust is, I want it now on my terms. The design of God is, I want to give and serve another person. That's how how great sex is designed. I want to serve another person. The balance switch with lust is, I want to consume another person. When I can't get someone off my mind, that's out of balance. When I see a woman and my mind goes to fantasy, it's out of balance. So I had the most beautiful woman at Hill City Church read scripture today. It's my wife. I was trying to steal a kiss before she came out and she said, I have lip gloss on. You're gonna get it on your lips. So I apologize if I have some on. My wife, my wife, uh, she read scripture today. Yeah. Is there a healthy sexual attraction desire for my wife? You better believe it. <laughs> have I created her an object of lust? Yes. See, I can lust after my wife. See, lust doesn't have as much to do with like, sexual arousal and as it does consuming. And I've I've confessed this to Emily and apologized and repented to her. There's been many times in my marriage, and I still do at times, where I have put my happiness on her shoulders. (laughs) My desire, my feeling of being good enough on her shoulders and communicated to her, not verbally but non-verbally, your job is to make me happy. Lust. Now, this is what's interesting, what Jesus does and why I had her Read the entire passage. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say if you have hate. Then, immediately after, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say don't lust. I think those two are together for a reason. Because here's the product of lust. It's hate. When I put this expectation on Emily, you will fulfill all of my desires. You are here for me. Can she do that? No, when she doesn't, I hate her. Now, I would never say that. Hey, Emily, I hate you. But I do. I resent her. I hold bitterness. I feel hurt. See, the result of lust is hate, it's murder. You are a murderer and adulterer. I am too. And Jesus is inviting us to name that and see that lust cuts us off from human connection and it leads us to hate. See, lust in itself isn't even always sexual. It's more of a disassociation. So here's what happens. Your shame and your emptiness and your brokenness and your wounds from your past You hate, you hate the feeling of me. And we always want to disassociate from that. And lust is simply a disassociation from the pain and the hatred for ourselves. Lust and hate are bound together. We're going to look at this more next week. Next week, part two is how do we fight lust? How do we step out of it? We'll, We'll dig into that more. But we got to know lust is simply a disassociation from the pain and the brokenness and the wounds of our life. So lust is impersonal, it removes humanity, and it's out of balance. Now, why does it have such a hold on us? Silence. If there's one area in our Christian life that will cause us to go into silence and isolation and hiding, it is our struggles with sexuality. It is. Oh, how we desire at Hill City Church to create a culture here where when we break into small groups and city groups and our smaller communities, that we can confess our struggles with sexuality just like we would confess our struggles with greed or anything else. See, what happens in the church when we put this like, big weight of sexual, like, you all are just awful, and you're sick. It causes shame. It causes us to isolate. It causes us to be secret, and that's what keeps us bound. We have got to create a culture here at our church where we can be able to name in a safe community, I am an adulterer. I am a lustful man for all sorts of things. We've got to create a community at our church, and I hope we're there. We're getting there. Where in our city group, like tonight, my city group meets, where someone could say, a man or a woman, I am addicted to pornography. And the response be, oh my gosh, I love you. <laughs> Jesus loves you, He delights in you. This does not define you. Let's get help together. But the, the, like the, the bind, the shame that has us bound as Christians around sex is we isolate ourselves, we hate ourselves and we cut ourselves off from deep connection. This will be next week, you know how you fight lust? Deep connection. But the very result of lust is hatred for others and ourselves which causes us to isolate and pull away, thus keeping us bound in an endless cycle. The result of lust is hatred, it's contempt. For yourself and others, And that keeps you bound. James, the book of James talks about this. James 4, 1. Look at this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, your lust, are at war within you? Look at this. You desire and do not have, so you what? Murder. You've heard it said, do not murder. You see the connection? The result of lust is murder, hatred for others and yourself. And we do it all day long. We do it all day long. One of my favorite things to do in life is to get together with my friends and have a great meal and just laugh and have a great time. I'm a late nighter. I can go one in the morning, let's, let's party, okay? One of my good friends, Brad, his bedtime's like 815 15. And it never fails. It, you know, we have a good group of friends, four, five, six couples, and, and sometimes it's hard to get together with all the schedules of kids and all that. And we finally take a Friday night and we're together. This happened two weeks ago. And for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. I can't wait to get together with my friends. And Emma and I were hosting and we cooked this big meal and worked really hard and we're sitting around the fire pit and we're just laughing and telling stories. Eight o'clock rolls by. Jenny, let's get the kids, let's go. He does it all the time. Oh, it drives me crazy. doesn't even say bye. Just, Jenny, get the kids, let's go. And walks out. not fell down. And I hate him for it. <laughs> I do. And in a joking way, but part of it in a real way. Why? Because it goes against my desire to be with my friends and have fun. Hear me, all day long, you lust, you're adulterous, and you hate because of it. James names it. So, what is Jesus doing here? I think he's leveling the playing field. He is talking to religious elite who have lorded over all the people, all these rules, and made them feel down and shameful, like they can't get to God. And he's saying, hey, um, religious leaders, you are murderers, and you are adulterers. Church, can we name it? If there is one thing that the unbelieving world hates about Christians, that I think they should— is we are often fake. We walk around pointing out the over-sexualization of our culture and refuse to name that we are adulterers. Can we name it? Can we have a culture in our church where someone's struggling with sexual sin, sexual addiction, and our response is not, oh my gosh, our response is, of course you are. Of course you are. Why? You're an adulterer. Now, that's not me being like cavalier, like, oh, sin's no big deal. Sin is a big deal. It's why Jesus came to die, because you're a murderer and adulterer. That's why he died. But in the midst of your adultery and hatred and murder is when Jesus loved you and came to die. And so now that you're in Christ, does he love you any less because you struggle there? Is Jesus actually like surprised by your sexual fantasies? oh my gosh, I can't believe Dan. Really? He named it right here. You're an adulterer. You're a murderer. Can we name it? Can we create a community at our church where men and women can finally start to step into freedom from sexual brokenness because we have the courage to name it? Hear me. You cannot heal from what you will not name. You can't. Grace will always be this detached, nice idea. But once you finally face the darkness of your own adultery and murder, and you name your brokenness, and you realize you are loved in the midst of it, that's when grace breaks through, and that's when you begin to experience the resurrection of Christ. You are a murderer and an adulterer, which is why Jesus died. But that does not define you. Because underneath that murder and adultery is really good desires. that comes out of the resurrection. And the invitation of Jesus says, let's name the brokenness so that we begin to walk into newness in life. But if we can't name the brokenness, we won't walk in newness. Next week, I'll try to make it as practical as we can. Now that we've uh, agreed we're all adulterers and murderers, What does it look like to begin to have a new style of relating to the opposite sex? One where beautiful women are not there for my consumption, but I'm able to name you are a gorgeous, beautiful creation of God, and I refuse to consume you. I will honor you and love you and serve you. That's what Jesus is inviting us into, flourishing. Let's pray together.